the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and a good afternoon. Good to have you with us here on this 11th day of April. And normally I'd be giving you a reminder that would go along the lines of, and don't forget your taxes are due in just four days, but nah, we got a little bit of a reprieve due to the storm. So that's been pushed off until October. So if you were panicking to get the check in the mail, don't, you got plenty of time. And um, part of that time, hopefully you're going to spend with us here on this edition of Lifeline. Lots to talk about. I'm elated, by the way, happy Easter and uh, Passover to you. And as we launch into today's program we're going to um, spend a little time talking about economics and a little time talking about philosophy and where the intersection of those two meet is sometimes strange bedfellows now let's kind of start with this notion Um, when you think about your investment dollars whether you're planning for a child's education or simply setting money aside to buy a house buy a car eventually Um, The question is whether or not you want those dollars to have an environmental or social conscience. Or are investments even capable, and the corporations behind them, technically capable of having a conscience? Well, I would argue probably not, since they're not human beings. In the matter of the conscience, whether you be sensitive to social issues, environmental issues, or others, ought to be left up to you. Sadly, there is a growing trend toward so-called ESG investing, or environmental, social, and governance-sensitive investing. Decisions that are not being made by the individual investors, but rather by those who manage the funds. Let's say, for example, the the California government or the public employees union, CalPERS, which has joined this march towards so-called ESG-driven investing. And in doing so, while they may think they're doing the altruistic thing, the heady thing, the right thing, the morally correct thing, Yeah, what they're actually doing is a financially unwise thing. And as they do so, and we'll break down some numbers for you when we launch into our discussion this afternoon, uh, you begin to realize that in their effort to try and be uh, hip and with it and politically correct and socially and environmentally sensitive actually hurts two groups of people. Number one, it hurts the recipients of those retirement dollars, the retirees, 
but it also passes part of that pain on to you and me. You see, when they make decisions that ultimately are not economically sound ones, the California public sector pensions, well, they're guaranteed by the state. The state, by the way, raise your hand, that would be you and me in that taxpayers are ultimately on the hook. So when pensions are underfunded because they've not been wisely invested because the motivation is not to maximize the investment dollars for the benefit of the retirees, but rather to do this socially sensitive, wonderful thing that you can brag about over the next cocktail party sort of approach to investing, guess what? It becomes a lose-lose situation. Let's go a bit deeper. Joining us in the conversation is lawyer, CPA, constitutional historian, and for many, many years, syndicated talk show host and best-selling author, Bob Zadek. And Bob, is always a privilege to have you join us. You know, I suppose the idea that if individuals wish to be sensitive in the kind of investment choices that they make, that there are certain types of products or companies that they would rather not put their investment dollars into, I think they have every right and reason to make that sort of decision. The problem here, though, is in the example that I cite, it's not the individual retirees or investors that are making those decisions, but in fact, those decisions are being made for them and ultimately potentially to the detriment of not just the retirees, the recipients of those investment dollars, but ultimately, in the example I cite at the top of the program, to the California taxpayer. What's wrong with this picture? Everything is wrong with that picture, Craig, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me to join you this evening. We are uh, the easiest way. There are lots of easy ways to answer your question. What's wrong with this picture? Uh, And a very simple example would tee up the issue, I think. Imagine if you hire a contractor to add an addition on your home to build a porch, a rear porch. And he's going to, he said, okay, I'll do it and I'll bill you for the cost plus my profit. He said, it's fine. And the contractor starts to build your porch and gives you a bill and there's an itemized list of, of supplies and labor and included in the list that you have to pay for as part of the cost is a contribution by the contractor building your porch to the Red Cross for $5,000. And you say, hey, what, wait a minute, why, why am I paying this $5,000? You say, well, you agreed to pay me for the cost of my doing it. And I always give $5,000 to the Red Cross because I think they do good work, don't you? And you'll say, well, yeah, I guess they do good work, but I'll decide how much to give to the Red Cross. Contractor says, no, 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 no. You hired me to build your porch. And implicit in that is I always charge my customers $5,000 for their Red Cross. Now, two things we've learned from that very simple parable. Number one is... Let's not, we don't have to quarrel that much about whether the Red Cross deserves $5,000. Well, let's stipulate they do, they do good work. Let's stipulate that. The second thing is, who gets to decide 
how much of your money goes to the Red Cross, the contractor, or you? Well, the contractor will say, well, you hired me, and I always charge my customers $5,000 to give to the Red Cross. Of course, I have decided it's a good charity. And that's part of the cost. You hire me, 5000 goes to the Red Cross. The contractor says, but that's what you agreed to do. You say, hold it. I'll decide whether to give a contribution, and if so, to who? There you have it. Now, who is best? Who should decide how much of your money goes to the Red Cross? The contractor or you? You hired the contractor and gave the contractor money for a very specific purpose. Build me a porch. Not to give give your money away to her choice as to charity. There you have it, Craig. We have companies, businesses, who, like government, it's somebody else's money. Because a business, yes, it's in the business checking account, but if the money wasn't given away, it would go to employees and higher wages, creditors to pay bills more promptly, investors who to get a return on the investment. So yes, the business has the money, but they are custodians of the money, and their job, people give them money for one purpose, to produce profits, not to make charity decisions. So a business, in giving away your money, to their favorite charity is making decisions about who you should give your money to. That's not their job. That's not the deal. And that is the breach of the contract, the, the social contract you as an investor have with a business. You said, make money. Make a lot of money so I get a high return. And if you don't give me a high return, I'm going to invest somewhere else and take away my investment. Of course, that's the deal. Businesses are have one job, make profits for their investors and pay their bills, not to give money away. That's why a business who gives money to social causes is, in a way, depriving somebody else of the decision how their money should be given away, and in general, and more broadly speaking, what to do with that money. If the business doesn't need it, they should pay it out as dividends to the owners so the owners can find a better home for the money. That's the issue in a nutshell. Now, with one, I want to add one footnote to what I just said, Greg, and that is this. It may be that the management of a business has decided that giving money to a charity or to a cause or something is good for business. It will, people will look at the company in a more favorable light. They will buy the company's product because they like the company. They like what it stands for. And therefore, 
although the business is making a charitable contribution, it is doing so for the right reason, to increase the profits. And so long as they can show that, they should have the burden that that is a sensible use of money and consistent with what the investors want, then I have no problem. So my problem is not that a business gives money to charity, but that it uses every penny it has for the purpose it has given the money to make a return for investors. Well, and what about this and we'll go a bit deeper after the break but in my mind what becomes problematic about this is simply this uh, you as the individual that's either engaging the services of the contractor in your example or a a a contributor and ultimately a a beneficiary of the investment dollars related to in my example the public employee union uh, we all may be in agreement that supporting Again, back to your example, the Red Cross is an admirable thing to do. It's a right thing to do, and we're 100% in agreement that it ought to be done. I think what becomes at odds is this, that when we talk about investment vehicles, that the principal, and some might argue, the singular responsibility of those who are managing, in my example, the retirement dollars, ought to be strictly a fiduciary responsibility and the attempt to trying to be socially conscious politically aware whatever you want to call it is sometimes if not more often than not always at odds with what might be the right thing to do from an economics or the fiduciary responsibility end of the equation and at the end of the day if you are going to benefit from dollars that you have paid in in the form of eventually receiving that pension that you're counting on when you retire, first and foremost, knowing that the dollars are going to be there ought to be job number one, I would argue, the only job. Now, if you decide to take a portion of those dollars and go support Red Cross or whatever your your uh, your favorite social, environmental, or uh, governance-related charity might be, whatever that is, uh, then you're certainly welcome to do so. But to, to try and blend the two together seems to be diametrically opposed. And what's problematic is we have a real-life example of just how dangerous that this can be in the case of CalPERS, the California Employee Union, government employee union, where they are indeed investing in the ESG model. And guess what? As we might have predicted, it is not performing as well. And when the investments underperform, well, the obligations for the pension recipients don't change any. So guess who winds up having to pick up the slack, fill in the part that's missing, address the underperformance? You and me, the taxpayer. So we suddenly move from what's the nice thing to do to what's the right thing to do to what's the legal thing to do. And how they're getting away with this so far, we'll discuss that when we come back. And also talk about some examples where setting up a wall between these two vastly oftentimes opposing approaches to investing ought to be. 
Best-selling author Bob Zadek with us tonight, uniquely qualified to shed some light on this subject matter. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll talk about these so-called uh, ESG principles and how they indeed can impact the performance of a fund and leave you and me on the hook for the balance. Our conversation with Bob Zadek continues on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So the big question that we're entertaining here tonight is when we talk about the so-called principles of responsible investing within the framework of the so-called ESG, environmental social governance investing, is it being socially responsible or political activism? And without regard to what the answer is, can there potentially be winners and losers? And I think the um, the evidence is going to uh, going to demonstrate that in fact there can be winners and losers. And sadly, some of the losers in relationship to at least this approach with the Calpers uh, retirement system are not only the individual former now retired employees of the state, but the taxpayers who are ultimately always on the hook for these sorts of decisions. And again, as we um, turn back to our discussion with Bob Sadak tonight, Bob, nobody here is arguing that um, wanting to be sensitive when it comes to investing, that you might say, well, there are certain things for the environment that I don't think are healthy. And so I would rather not put my dollars there. That's fine. And that's an individual decision that I think should be honored and respected. But operative word there is an individual decision. What's what's happening here is almost, um, you know, the, the, the Keynesian approach to economics that's being forced upon retirees in the case of the CalPERS example and at the end of the day while those managing the fund might walk away feeling really good the proof as they say is in the pudding and the end results are demonstrating that more often than not the ESG approach to investing comes up a loser actually Craig I have a couple of comments first of all um I want to have our audience remember or learn about what has been called the Friedman Doctrine, uh, named, of course, after uh, Milton Friedman, that great free market economist. Uh, Milton Friedman observed that corporations can not be socially responsible because as Friedman observed, corporation has a corporation has no responsibilities. Only people have responsibilities. A corporation simply has no conscience, is not a person, has to simply obey the law. Uh, and Corporations often are referred to as greedy corporations. How can a corporation have an emotion like greed? I once concluded that there was a huge profit opportunity. If corporations can be greedy, Craig, I wonder, can they also be depressed? Can they be <laughs> anxious? If so... Imagine the opportunity for a psychiatrist to only treat corporations. He'd have to feel to himself. So psychiatrists out there have at it. Now, back to your question. When you raise 
organizations like CalPERS. Because before the break, we were talking about the first part of the conversation, which is corporations. Now we're talking about CalPERS. When I was commenting on corporations, I pointed out that uh, corporations could theoretically justify spending, and perhaps I ought to say wasting, but spending money for environmental, social, and governance projects, or they could justify it only if, in their judgment as business managers, it increased profits. When you get to CalPERS, there's no such thing. They don't have to acquire customers. They already have the customers locked in by statute or by contract. So they cannot even, they being CalPERS, cannot justify what they do to make the customers happy. They don't have that challenge. Therefore, they are truly making social or environmental decisions with somebody else's money. CalPERS only has other people's money. It doesn't have its own money. And you use the concept, Craig, before the break correctly of fiduciary duties. CalPERS have a duty at law to make decisions in the best interests of the beneficiaries of the fund, the retired public employees. That decision, that fiduciary duty cannot be met if they are not increasing the financial well-being by, of the retired workers by making contributions or investments that make the managers feel good because they are helping their favorite causes or the favorite causes of their spouse, more likely, but they are helping somebody's favorite cause, but the workers, the ones whose money it is, don't get to vote. CalPERS has a duty at law to give the money to the retired public employees and let the public employees decide how much of their money they choose to give or donate or spend on environmental, social, and governance investings. And it gets even worse because you mentioned political influence. What the public people who folks who listen to your show are probably aware of, but it's worthy of mention, is that the largest investors, people who control other people's money, are the large investment companies such as BlackRock. Now, BlackRock is what is the, probably the largest shareholder collectively in the world because they have other people's money that they manage. And therefore, they make decisions which stocks to buy and sell. BlackRock gets to vote the shares that it holds. Therefore, BlackRock can force management of corporations, look, do what we tell you in terms of environmental, social, and government investing, or we're going to sell our holdings in your shares and your stock will tank. So it gets even uglier since 
BlackRock and the others are primarily leftist democratic leaning or, or leftist in their political views and therefore they impose their political views through kind of legal blackmail on corporate managers who might not choose to make ESG investing but have to protect the value of their stock and don't want the stock to tank. And therefore, to some degree, corporate managers have to obey their shareholders, the black box of the world. And that's ugly because that where gets right where you said we ought to be going, which is the political implications of tonight's conversation. Well, what I find troubling about all this, Bob, and again, I, I want to be clear that if an individual wants to use these principles to guide their investment choices, have at it. Free world, just as you can decide which charities to support and which ones not to support. What I find problematic is when it's being done on the behalf of somebody else, when they don't get a vote in any of this, there's no determination gathered from the recipients, for example, of that pension fund as to which types of companies they wish to invest in and which ones they don't want to. And so at the end of the day, given the fact that first and foremost, if not singularly, this ought to be strictly fiduciary responsibility on behalf of the uh, fund managers, how is this even legal? That's my question. Well, how is it legal? It's The law is evolving. The law is always trying to catch up. It's trying to catch up on uh, political events. It's trying to catch up on technological events. And the law is always lagging behind. And this phenomenon of the power of the Black Rocks and State Streets of the world to influence corporate decision-making in a way that's adverse to the best interest of the stakeholders is relatively new. Now, there is a way for Congress to change that. There, there, I can imagine statutes drafted that would say a corporate manager is presumed to be violating or breaching fiduciary duty when it makes spend any money for charitable contributions or ESG or all of these other soft issues, that there's a presumption that money is not in the best interest of the corporation and the managers have the burden of proving that it benefits the corporation. If they meet that test, they're not doing anything wrong. Once you create a presumption that that is a waste of corporate money, managers will stop doing it, or they'll think twice about it, or it'll be limited, and the whole issue will magically go away. But right now, there is a doctrine in American jurisprudence that's very strong. And it is a principle of corporate governance that says that there is a strong presumption 
that directors who, in effect, govern what the managers and the officers do, there's a strong presumption that directors know what they are doing. And the courts should not interfere with the, here comes the phrase, business judgment of the director. Because it's presumed, and I think it's correct, that a court cannot possibly know better than the directors what's in the best interest of the corporation. So courts just don't mess with directors' decisions. But if you created a presumption that that kind of expenditure is wrong, so the burden is on the directors or the officers to overcome the burden, then it's not the court saying it's wrong. It's saying make the case and it's okay. So that's well, and, and and let me let me add a layer of complexity to this, and we'll 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 dig into this a little bit deeper after the break. And that is simply this: that at the end of the day, the dollars that we are talking about are not dollars that belong to the board of directors that are managing the Calpers Fund. They don't belong to the state. They belong to those who participate in that retirement program. And and as such, then I have to wonder if this doesn't be begin to encroach on their rights because again back to that notion first and foremost it's about maximizing the dollars to provide the resources to keep the promises that they made when they hired these individuals that in 30 years from now when you retire from that desk job or whatever you're going to receive a pension so is there a way in which they're option similar to what we see with unions as it relates to the difference between dollars that are collected for the collective bargaining versus political activism and does this not squarely sit in the category of, of the ESG investing of political activism we'll pose that question to Bob Zadek in a moment right now that we're going to take a brief time out and come back to more of our discussion as Lifeline continues and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking through some of the, um, quite frankly, gotcha aspects of ESG investing. And this is catching some attention in the headlines because um, recently there's been uh, some arguments back in Washington, D.C. over all of this. And uh, the Department of Labor, along around Thanksgiving, uh, released a rule that uh, that tied into this very issue and of course what what becomes problematic as we've been discussing with best-selling author bob zadek is the notion that you have a third party the fund manager in the case of calpers um, who's making these decisions whether or not they be to the economic detriment of the fund participants well who knows well we know because we've seen some of the results and the problem, of course, is that when there is a shortfall, be it because the markets underperformed, as they have so far this year, or because of poor investment choices, at the end of the day, the obligation is what the obligation is. And that means you and me as the taxpayers have to step in and pick up the slack. So I'm, I'm curious, Bob, from your perspective, uh, you know... Again, the notion of empowering retirees and those fund participants who put the money in in the first place, or at least it was placed there 
for their benefit and on their behalf, whether or not there ought to be, if, if, for example, the union decides they want to invest this way, okay, at least we provide some sort of a um, an option out. For example, the, the notion of collective bargaining. Uh, an argument for decades had been that unions would collect money from their members and then use those dollars not only in the process of collective bargaining, but also political activity. Sometimes a political activity meant supporting a candidate who supported the union. More often than not, a lot of the political activities were in direct opposition of the morals and values held by the participants. And so it finally became an option where you can say to your union, I will pay you dues for the single purpose of collected bargaining and nothing else. Is there room for an option like this or is that entirely practical? And and if so, how do we put an end to this kind of practice that ultimately is to the detriment of the very people that are supposed to benefit from the investments? Greg, when you say, how do we put an end to it? The mechanical way is easy. There are lots of solutions politically a different conversation. To give you an example of a mechanical way, just imagine CalPERS, which holds an enormous amount of investments. If CalPERS had several funds, one fund that said our only investment goal is to make money and everything we do is to increase yield. And then we have a second fund, the socially responsible fund. This fund will try to make money, but will spend money in its discretion in a way that doesn't necessarily make investments in a way that doesn't necessarily produce good economic results, but accomplishes good social ends feed the poor, whatever the ends are. And every member, every public employee who retires, they can decide. They want to have their fund, their money, managed by the socially conscious fund or by the fund that produces the highest return. There you have it. For those people who are feeling charitable or that it's the right thing to do or or whatever their motivation is, they get to pick. Notice the difference between existing system and what I have suggested. One puts the control of the money in the hands of the people who are the beneficiaries. The other puts the control of the funds in a phrase you use a lot on your show, unelected bureaucrats. And every single public employee gets to pick the fund they want to have manage their money. Everybody wins. And if a lot of people are socially responsible, that's fine. They will join the fund. Everybody gets what they want. One way respects freedom and private property. The other treats it like you. the beneficiary has no choice because they are not competent 
or they are not caring enough to make the right decision. So government or unelected bureaucrats will make that decision for them. And I ask our audience, do you decide, what do you think, which fund would you invest in? Would you say bureaucrats can can give away my money or give it to me and I will give it away in an amount and to the recipients that I favor. There you have it. And I think at the end of the day, empowering people to make a decision like that in and of and for themselves and understanding, too, that if you decide to take the, 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 the less profitable, potentially, route that the difference of the performance between the two funds is on you. This is the decision that you've made. If the unsocially conscious funds to earn 4% more per annum than the socially conscious fund, uh, there's no recourse. That is a loss that you get to eat because you made the decision. More information on Bob Zadek. He's got lots of resources available on his website, including copies of his books and uh, guests on his uh, multi-year syndicated talk show. You can check him out online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Bob, as always, we appreciate the insights and look forward to visiting again real soon. Coming up on uh, 12 minutes before the hour, let's take a quick time out. Back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Over the uh, Easter weekend, if you uh, dialed around television, uh, you might have noticed a number of programs that that tend to want to make light of the importance of this time of year for believers uh, to to the point of mimicking believers. And, you know, I suppose at a level we're to expect all of this, right, from a biblical perspective. We're told that we would be criticized for and mocked for his namesake. And yet it also raises questions in terms of the, the violation of the rights of people of faith, because let's face it, same constitution that should protect our rights equally and sadly though uh, we're we're seeing more and more examples in in recent years uh, that suggest just the opposite that it's becoming more and more challenging to be a person of faith whether you're a student in the local school a believers in the in the workplace whatever the case might be Maybe you felt some of that pressure yourself and you're not certain what to do, how to respond. How do you stand up for yourself? Who stands up on your behalf if you're being made fun of or criticized or ridiculed because uh, you uh, took time off on Good Friday? And you wonder, well, who gives voice on your behalf to protect your rights? Well, with some insights, we're joined by the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer, Brad Dacus. And, and Brad, at the core, your, yours is a business that I wish you would be put out of business. Not that I don't like you, <laughs> but, but we would wish that in this day and age, there's no need for what you do. But sadly, just the opposite is true. And that is that more and more people of faith are coming under attack in this country. And as that happens, more and more struggle with the notion of, well, who stands up on my behalf? Who do I turn to? Well, you're right, Craig. And in fact, the attack on people of faith has never been deeper and broader than it is right now 
coast to coast. And that's one reason why we at Pacific Justice Institute, by God's grace, have 129 offices, excuse me, have 29 offices in 23 states, coast to coast, uh, making sure that everyone gets help, that no one's left on the side of the road. We're very unique as a legal organization. We don't just cherry pick a few high profile uh, cases. We actually have a ministry heart that really wants to serve the body of Christ, and we do it in terms of uh, the, the, the rights of the parents, parents' rights, uh, faith in the workplace, in the public schools, uh, et cetera. And we have incredible, empowering resources on all these different areas to uh, really equip in, in the, uh, the body of Christ, as well as being willing to defend them without charge uh, all across America. As you look at uh, this, this, how should we say, erosion of our rights, is there anything that we can point to uh, to gain a better understanding as to why this is happening? Is it, is it multifaceted in terms of the sources that are sort of feeding into all of this? I mean, we know the Constitution hasn't changed. So what is changing? Societal norms, attitudes? Yeah, the Constitution is not changing. In fact, we have a, a Supreme Court now that is the most uh, supportive and friendly to the original intent and strict construction of the Constitution ever in my lifetime. In fact, great federal judges have been appointed uh, on our courts. So, no, the real issue is, is what's happening with the people. Uh, we used to have a homogeneous society that respected the same uh, rule book, if you will, with regards to uh, right and wrong. Uh, we don't have that. We have a very... A divisive split society uh, and a large portion of our society is at war with God. Um, you know, try and, and at war with people who follow the Lord and uh, revere the Lord in His Word. Um, we've never, you know, when I was growing up as a little boy, there were two kinds of people, Craig. There were people who went to church, and there are people who are knowing that they should be going to church. Um, now we have people who are followers of Christ, and we have people who are haters and despisers of the followers of Christ. And I think part of that goes back to Romans, you know, I think it's one eight where it says, for just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do that, which is not proper. And, um, and so I think that's a lot of it is our society has turned from God. We've been comfortable with our, our blessings are that God's given us. And just like the nation of Israel would turn from God in those situations, I think that's what's happened in America today. And that's why we need revival and humility, a humbling of ourselves, uh, and turning to the Lord. And I just hope it doesn't take, um, you know, a, a major disaster, if you will, uh, to bring us once again back to our knees to the Savior. Yeah, and I know exactly what you're speaking of. We saw enormous attendance in churches for the many weeks, if not months, that uh, immediately followed, for example, 9-11, and then slowly uh, sort of waning of all of that, and then kind of back to business as usual. Uh, what's sad is the consistent erosion um, of respect, and at the end of the day, you're, you're left with two choices. You can either swallow hard and shut up, and hope they'll leave you alone, or you can stand up for your rights. And and toward that end, Brad, if somebody says, you know, Craig, Brad, I know exactly what you're talking about. My son or daughter is dealing with that in school right now, or I've been harassed at my workplace simply because I, I have a cross around my neck. How can you guys help? Yeah, we've got great resources. They should go to our website, PJ 
pci.org or pacificjustice.org. And as far as the workplace goes, we have a training video called Faith in the Workplace. Free video, they can download it, talks all about how they can live their faith in the workplace. And also we have a, a book, Reclaim Your School, um, which talks all about how the, you have rights, the students have rights and parents with regards to um, living their faith and not being harassed. And uh, we have opt-out forms, which are extremely valuable to protect parents uh, and, and with regard to their children and public schools. Any our most valuable item ordered, and these are all without charge on our website, is how to protect your children from being taken by social workers for outrageous reasons um, that are now very rampant, you know, throughout um, California on the West Coast. Uh, we just defended a parent's Christian family from losing two children simply because the parents were not uh, supportive in wanting to encourage their children into the LGBTQ lifestyle. So we won. We won the case. Had we not gone into court, they would have had their children permanently taken from them just because they're Christians and for no other reason. So that, that available, that's available, 12 steps to protect your children from CPS, opt-out forms, a, you know, workplace empowerment. Uh, it's all there. Even information for pastors. Uh, we've been defending pastors in criminal court for preaching the gospel in public places uh, across the country. Uh, we have a real empowering information for pastors to know their rights to boldly live their faith and have their voice heard um, both in the church and outside the church. Information available on those resources, as Brad points out, by going to the Pacific Justice Institute website at pji.org or pacificjustice.org. Both will get you to the same spot. Again, online at pacificjustice.org. .org. Our thanks to constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, for that update. Six o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.